Louis, I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Rhodes? Well, we're going, we don't need Rhodes. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. No, I am your father. You're listening to After the Ending, the only film podcast where we tell you what happens after the ending of your favorite films. And now, here are your hosts, Mike Spring and Phil Edwards. Hello and welcome to another episode of After the Ending. I'm Mike Spring. And I'm Phil Edwards. And Phil, I just have one question for you today. What's that? Who is Kaiser Soze? I'm not sure, but I believe in your really good magic trick, convincing the world he didn't exist. Very nice, very nice. That is, of course, from The Usual Suspects, which is one of the movies we're going to be talking about today. Phil, why don't you tell everybody what else we have on tap for this episode? Yes, we will also be giving an after-the-ending to the 1999 film Ed TV, which starred Matthew McConaughey, Jenna Elfman, and Woody Harrelson. And we'll be giving our top 10 films of 1991, and our mini-feature involves movie tie-in toys. You know, the things, you know, things we used to like to play with as kids, or we'll still play with them as adults. That's right. So as you can see, a jam-packed episode and uh, some really good films in 1991. I'm looking forward to talking about those. But first, why don't we start off with Ed TV? Definitely. Let's give it a go. Well, first of all, if you haven't seen Ed TV, I do highly recommend it. It's actually, I think, a very underrated film. Oh, indeed. It's, uh, it seems to have been forgotten over the years. Yeah, but, you know, it's funny because it was such a prescient film. You know, like 1999 was sort of before really the the big onset of reality television and definitely yeah, before yeah. things like, you know, YouTube, people becoming YouTube phenoms by broadcasting their lives 24 hours a day. So, you know, it's uh, it's a pretty knowing film. And, and, you know, great cast, great director, a lot of fun to watch, very funny movie. If you haven't seen it, check it out. It's, it's definitely a good way to kill 90 minutes. Yeah, I reckon if it had come out about five years later, it would have been a much bigger film yeah yeah it's funny it did definitely fly under the radar but i think it's you know when you watch it now it it holds up really well and i think people can relate to it even more now than they probably could back in 1999 but it's a great film so check it out if you haven't seen it certainly yet well as you say it's a good one to watch and it's a superb cast indeed so let's go through that cast actually as i tell you what happens in ed tv Take it away. All right. So Ed TV, 1999, directed by Ron Howard, starring Matthew McConaughey, Woody Harrelson. This was, of course, before they teamed up for True Detective. Mm -hmm. Uh, It also stars Jenna Elfman, Ellen DeGeneres, Martin Landau, Rob Reiner, Elizabeth Hurley, and Dennis Hopper. Some legends in there. Oh, yeah. Terrific. Terrific cast. So here we go. TV producer Cynthia, played by Ellen DeGeneres, has an idea to broadcast a person's life 24 hours a day. They cast Ed Pickerney, an everyday average Joe, played by Matthew McConaughey. I mean, as average as you can get when you look like Matthew McConaughey. Yeah, you look like him. Yeah, average isn't really the word, is it? (laughs) Right. Uh, But for all intents and purposes, he's meant to be the average guy in this movie. (laughs) So for the first few days, it's boring and nobody cares or watches. But when Ed visits his brother Ray, played by Woody Harrelson, and finds him cheating on his girlfriend, ratings soar. Ed goes to visit Ray's put-upon girlfriend, Sherry, played by Jenna Elfman, to apologize for Ray, and he ends up sort of accidentally revealing his feelings for her. She reciprocates those feelings, and they kiss, and instantly the show becomes a sensation. Ed and Sherry soon break up, though, when he becomes more interested in being on TV than being with her, and Sherry is verbally accosted by strangers who don't like her because of the way they perceive her on the show. Ed goes on a late-night talk show and meets Jill, played by Elizabeth Hurley. 
Sherry then tells Ed that they can't be together until the show is over and she leaves town. So Ed goes on a date with Jill and is about to seal the deal with her when he falls off the table and squashes her cat, (laughs) which is very unfortunate. Yes, yes. Ed's father, played by Dennis Hopper, shows up after being absent for 20 years and tells him that he left because his mother, Ed's mother, was having an affair with Ed's now stepdad, Al, who was played by Martin Landau. Ed tries to get out of doing the show because he realizes it's starting to affect his life, but the producers won't let him because he has an ironclad contract. Then the camera crew stop following just Ed and start following both Sherry and Ed's entire family, which he's not really happy about. Finally, Ed announces live on TV that he will give $10,000 to anybody who can give him dirt on the producers of the show that he will then announce live on the air. Cynthia, that's Alan DeGeneres, who's come to feel that Ed should be released, secretly gives him info about Rob Reiner, who's the head honcho behind everything. Just as he's about to announce it all on the air, Rob Reiner pulls the plug. And the film ends with Sherry and Ed resuming their relationship and relishing in the fact that the TV pundits claim that Ed will soon be forgotten. And all in the middle of that is one of my favorite lines of the whole movie and one of my favorite rom-com lines ever, which is when Ed asks Sherry, will you go on a Zamboni date with me? (laughs) And it's, it's a it's a good good it's a good film it's very funny as well yeah it is it's some great scenes some good some good, good moments yeah and, and matthew mcconaughey did go through a spate of just doing romantic comedies but this one is it's a little bit different isn't it than this, the other ones he does i mean i don't think he was leaning on his poster <laughs> no it does lean on an awful lot of right yes uh, yes he does but you know it definitely isn't because it, it, you know as much as it's a romantic comedy it's not really just about their relationship it's about this idea of a guy whose life is being broadcast 24 hours a day and what kind of effect that has on people and you know so there's a lot more going on yes there is a romance in it and yes it is a comedy but it's not just boy meets girl boy loses girl boy gets girl back yeah, you know, there's there's yeah. more to it than that. So exactly, I mean, it was I think it was based on a, a Canadian film, 1994 film. Oh yeah, was that a TV? Uh, no, 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 <laughs> no. <laughs> it was you. called. I'll called, be here uh, all week. <laughs> called uh, Try the Fish. Uh, <laughs> I think it was called Lewis or Louis 19, King of the Airwaves. Huh, I'm not familiar with that one. It's, it's a little bit different though, because it's about a television fanatic who wins a contest to be on TV. But yeah, I've never seen it. That's all I know about it, to be honest. Right. Huh. Definitely worth tracking down, maybe. Mm. All right. Well, uh, Phil, why don't you start things off and take us through your day after? Okay. My day after of Ed TV. Uh, while the studio scrabble to find something to replace Ed TV, our young producer and director, who goes by the name of Christoph, realizes the potential of such a reality show. <laughs> I uh, already like where you're going with it. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, Ed and Sherry enjoy some privacy at last, but Ed hadn't realized how much stress he was under, and before they get up for any sexy time, he falls asleep. And that's uh, my day after. All right. Sounds good. Okay. Then what have you got for your day after? All right. Well, Ed and Sherry enjoy dating. They still get stopped and asked for autographs and pictures when they go out, but not nearly as often as when the show is on the air. Ed has a little bit of money from the show, and he and Sherry decide that as his fame is probably going to be short-lived, he should try and capitalize on it as quickly as possible. So he inks a few endorsement deals for regional businesses, a mattress store, a frozen yogurt chain, a cash-for-gold pawn shop, and he makes some pretty good cash, but his fame starts to fade, and he's okay with that. Meanwhile, Jill, who is fiercely attached to her cat, becomes obsessed with getting revenge on Ed. (laughs) She approaches Ray and starts a passionate affair with him, but makes him promise not to tell Ed that they're dating. And that's where we'll leave it for now. Oh, very good. Okay. I like the sound of that. Yeah. So how about your immediate aftermath? Okay. As the days and weeks pass by, it turns out that the predictions of the TV pundits was correct. 
There had been a few guest spots on morning TV shows, but Ed is soon forgotten as the TV news cycle rolls ever onwards. Ed made enough money from the show to not have to work, but he carries on working at the video store as he loves it, and he, he knew the regulars there, and it was just it was just a nice way to live. It was nice and easy for him. His relationship with uh, Shari, though, fizzles out, but they remain friends. And that's my immediate aftermath. Alrighty. So Ed and Sherry fizzle out. That's that's uh, yeah. that's sad to hear. I know, but it's. Uh, I mean, they had some good moments, but it's just it just happens, doesn't it? These things. Sure, I can see. It wasn't like their relationship started under the most auspicious circumstances, yeah, you know. Definitely. So, very cool. So, what about yours? Alrighty. Well, Ed and Sherry are happy. At least in my ending, they are. <laughs> um, <laughs> Ed and Sherry are happy, but Ed feels listless. He wants to develop a meaningful career. While he's happy not to be on TV anymore, he did enjoy feeling important, and he wants to do something more than what he'd been doing with his life, like working at the video store. Mm-hmm. Then serendipity strikes, and a famous actress pays him a visit. She was impressed with Ed's ingenuity with getting out of his contract. She wants his help in figuring out ways to avoid the paparazzi, as she's just learned that she's pregnant and doesn't want the stress of dealing with the paparazzi to affect her health. Ed gives her some successful strategies using his everyman perspective, and he ends up helping her greatly. She recommends some of her actor friends to him as clients, and soon Ed has created a new business called Ed IT, wherein he helps celebrities with particularly tricky PR issues, contract negotiations, and paparazzi avoidance. Meanwhile, Jill continues her relationship with Ray. Whenever he tries to talk to her about anything serious, she distracts him with sex, and she continues plotting against Ed. And that's the immediate aftermath. To be honest, if, if somebody looked like uh, Liz Hurley was kept distracting me with sex, I'd be- yeah, it's, it's a good. It's a pretty good tactic. Yeah, yeah. it's gonna <laughs> you know, work. Yeah, right. I'm, I mean, Ray is Ray is obviously not the smartest guy in the world in this movie, but I mean, I was gonna say you can't really fault him for that either. So yeah, yeah, you've got to. Yeah, Liz Hurley would. Uh, yeah, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> okay. anyway, moving I li- on. <laughs> I like the I like the idea though that uh, company though, to get people yeah. into the contracts and things. Right, I could see, I could see that doing big business. Oh, absolutely, stage. absolutely. Yeah. Okay, so how about your long term, Phil? Bring us home. Okay, it's going to go dark. <laughs> of course it is. Yeah. We got to come up with a nickname for you like I know. you know, Phil the Dark Side Edwards or something it like is, that. It was such a light-hearted film as well. I know, right? Seriously, first you break him up, now I don't even want to know what's going to happen, but all right, go ahead. Okay. Okay. Ed finds he misses the days of fame. There's still occasional fans who track him down, and he'd been on the news again as part of a where are they now section. It was that last thing which made him sad. He works in a gas station now. The money had long ago run out and the video store closed due to the internet and streaming of TV and, t- and movies. Ed also sees how much reality TV stars now make and he feels angry. He realises he was the one who started it all but he's not getting any credit for it. He ends up turning to booze which turns to pills and more. The bitterness and drugs twist him until he's no longer the, the caring person he once was and he no longer goes out naked and playing bongos on the front porch. <laughs> He wants to be famous again. He wants to be remembered. Seeing an article about the Kardashians, an idea clicks into place, and he finds out where they will be filming. Loading up guns and explosives into his truck, he heads off on a final road trip. To some, his final act will be seen as terrible. To many others, he'll be seen as a hero. But however way you look at it, Ed will be famous once again. Ooh, boy. That that was dark. It was, wasn't it? I mean, sadly, very realistic, because as we know, those types of things do happen in the real world. So, I mean, Mm -hmm. I do think that that's actually a very credible ending, I think, especially kind of a former reality TV star. I mean, it's it's bound to happen one of these days. It's going to be in the news, you know. Yeah, because, I mean, the fame is so fleeting, but they do so much for it. Right, and you get right. you get so much back, but it's just for so, such a short period of time. Yeah, yeah, shorter yeah. lived than ever nowadays. Yeah, as everything's yeah. disposable. So, yeah. 
So really, I mean, great, great ending, Phil. But I mean, dark, but but not not unnecessarily. So I think you definitely, yeah, yeah. you know. Thank you very much sir, about my ending. But uh, what about yours? All right. Well, I'm going to cheer things up a little bit, hopefully. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right, yeah. right. In my long term, uh, well, with his business thriving, Ed takes Sherry to a hockey game one night. During intermission, the Zamboni writes out, "Sherry, will you marry me on the ice?" <laughs> Delighted, she says yes. Ed's still enough of a local celebrity that the event makes the news. Jill sees the news on TV and loses her mind. She steals Ray's car, and that night she plows it into Ed and Sherry's apartment, missing them by mere feet. She jumps out of her car and attacks Ed with a knife, screaming, You destroyed my pussy! She manages I came out to left field. <laughs> well, well, totally know. understandable what happened in the film. <laughs> little maybe an intentional double entendre on my part maybe just an accident of words the world may never know she manages to stab ed in the arm before sherry knocks her out by breaking a vase over her head however the entire incident is caught on cell phone video by a neighbor and the entire clip of jill yelling you destroyed my pussy quickly goes viral bringing ed back into the public eye once again ed eventually heals jill goes to a psychiatric ward and ed and sherry get married his business continues to grow, and every so often he pops up in the public eye through a talk show appearance or a viral video, remaining a semi-celebrity for the rest of his life. <laughs> and that's that's the end. Oh, I like that. Very good ending. Thank you. So <laughs> I think I was maybe skirting our PG-13 rating there a little bit, but, you know. I, I don't know what you we're, mean. We're all adults here. <laughs> I mean, as far as I'm concerned, she was just upset about her cat. Exactly. That's so, there's no other way you could possibly take that. There's there's no other way to interpret that. No. So if you if you have another way to interpret it, that's that's entirely on you. Yeah, there's no other so. way you could take Liz Hurley's pussy anyway. <laughs> I'm sure that Matthew McConaughey would never intentionally destroy Elizabeth Hurley's pussy. I mean there's no that was no. A, clearly it was an accident. He so. may have destroyed other people. <laughs> Okay, now now we might be taking it a bit, a bit too far. I don't know how. Uh, how I hope nobody's oh. listening to this with their kids, but no, um, no, you know, because we're just talking about cats. We're just talking about cats. If That's anybody else finds this amusing for some other reason, you're right. the one with a dirty mind. <laughs> That's right. Us. You have you have a sick mind, not us. So anyway, oh. um, all right, moving on. Deep breath, uh, Phil. What <laughs> kind of trivia do you have for us about Ed TV? Uh, lots of the people who watch Ed TV have various. You see various people watching it. Some of the people who watch it are students who are in a fraternity house of Delta Tau Chi. Uh, you see the letters in the background, which is all a fictional fraternity from 1978 Animal House. So it's a little bit of crossover with Animal House. That's in fun. a certain kind of way. Yeah. Uh, as well as being in True Detective, Matthew McConaughey and Woody Halson also starred together in the 2008 film Surfer Dude. Right, yes. Which I've never actually seen. You know, I'm, I'm familiar with that movie, actually. Uh, but I will guess that Matthew McConaughey takes his shirt off in it. <laughs> That's a pretty good guess, Phil. Yeah, yeah. thank <laughs> you. Uh, let's see. Uh, Jennifer Aniston was considered for the role of Cynthia Topping. Matthew McConaughey and Adam Goldberg, who also starred on that TV, uh, appeared together in Richard Linklater's 1993 Dazed and Confused. And finally, Dennis Hopper, who was in EdTV, replaced Tom Berenger, who backed out due to scheduling conflicts. And Hopper had recently backed out of The Truman Show, which has some certain similarities to EdTV. And I sort of touched upon that in my after the end. Yeah, I was just going to say that's, yeah. of course, where Christoph came from mm -hmm. was, the, was The Truman Show. So that was a nice little tie in there. I, I, I thought that was very clever. Thank you very much. I was going to go maybe push that a bit more, but I thought, no, that's all you need. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Just sort of inspired it and then mm -hmm. goes from there. But that is a TV. And as we say, well worth checking out if you've never seen it. <laughs>
Yes, yes, agreed. It's it's a very fun movie. All righty, so let's move on then to The Usual Suspects. Ah, Kaiser Suze. <laughs> did, you, did you know in the film that that name is pronounced a few different ways isn't it oh yeah 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 for sure it's Keys definitely Keys 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 yeah, yeah. i think i you know i watched it actually just last night so i i think the most prevalent pronunciation is kaiser soze but definitely you hear kaiser suze a lot of times kaiser suze and suzy you know and then keezer so you know you hear all kinds yeah. of pronunciations but i'm gonna go with to the best of my knowledge, Kaiser Soze. As Kaiser Soze. That's the one I, I was going to go with, yeah. And if you haven't seen the movie, you must be like, what language are you guys talking right now? What are you Kaiser even talking Soze. about? <laughs> so, uh, well, Phil, why don't you tell people then who Kaiser Soze Well, don't. Well, <laughs> I guess you will have to reveal who Kaiser Soze is. Once again, I'm going to say, I said this last week, I'm going to say it again. If you haven't seen The Usual Suspects, turn off this episode, go watch the movie, and don't listen to this part of the episode until you've done it. Because, A, we are going to spoil the ending. And B, it's a really, really good film. So yeah. go watch it. And if okay. you've never seen it, it's well worth watching knowing as little as possible. Exactly. But it's from 1995, so you must have seen it. <laughs> I'm sure somebody out there hasn't. So yeah. I just want to give them all fair warning. Although it could also be said, even though you reveal who Kaiser Soze is, it doesn't necessarily mean that that's him. Well, this is this is true, but, but still. <laughs> yes, yes. If you haven't seen or it, hair, or go hair. watch it. That's right. Not a lot of hers in this movie, really, though. All right, so Phil, take us through the events of The Usual Suspects. So 1995's The Usual Suspects was written by Christopher McQuarrie and directed by Brian Singer, and they've both gone on to lots of successful things, including X-Men, Jack Reacher, Mission Impossible, and, oh, yeah, well, you know them. Lots of things. Okay, so we see Dean Keaton, played by Gabriel Byrne, is lying wounded on a ship, a figure who he calls Kaiser, shoots him and sets fire to the ship. There are two survivors, a Hungarian mobster by the name of Arkos Kovash, who's burnt badly, and Roger Verbal Kent, played by Kevin Spacey, a con artist who has cerebral palsy. A customs agent by the name of Dave Kuyon. That's another name as well, It's because it's spelled K-U-J-A-N. Yeah, yeah. But it's like Kuyon, Kuyon. Yeah. Played by the excellent Chaz Palminteri, he interrogates Verbal, takes him into a, an office in a police station, puts him in a chair. Dave sits on a on the desk and behind him is a big pinboard full of all bits and pieces of paper and it's a busy police station. Verbal explains how he met the rest of the team. It was a few months before in New York and the team is composed of the aforementioned Keaton, Gabriel Byrne, uh, Michael McManus, played by Stephen Baldwin, Fred Fenster, played by Benicio Del Toro, who has some of the best lines in the film, even though you can't understand what he's saying. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> I'll flip you out. I'm going to flip you out. <laughs> yep. uh, and Todd Hockney, played by Kevin Pollack, who is, uh, I always enjoy seeing him in whatever film he's in. Sure. So they get arrested. They're in a lineup, which is famous. Uh, that's That sort of inspired the thing. It's a lineup of these guys who are the usual suspects. They get put in a prison cell and they're up here robbing some police. And the jewels they get, they see a fence called Redfoot back in uh, on the west coast of America. Redfoot puts them onto another job, which end up going wrong. And they're approached by a lawyer by the name of Kobayashi, played by. The brilliant and much missed Pete Postlethwaite. And he's so fantastic in that role, too. Oh, I know. I mean, he's called Kobayashi, but I, yeah, it's just, it's it's superbly casted, the film. Everybody involved is brilliant. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah for sure. Kobayashi says he works for a mythical crime lord called Kaiser Soze. It turns out that everybody in the team have all stolen from Soze at some point in the past. So they have to do a job for him, otherwise they're going to get killed. And the job is to get on board a ship and destroy $91 million worth of cocaine. Fenster can't take this, and he splits 
but Soze has him killed and tells the others uh, where they can find his body. The heist on the ship takes place. They shoot some bad guys, they get on board, but find no drugs. However, McManus, Hockney and another man, unknown to them, are killed by an unknown person who also killed Keaton. He was the guy we, the person, the shady figure we saw at the beginning. Coulion doesn't believe Verbal and thinks Keaton is Kaiser Soze. Verbal says the whole plan was Keaton's but refuses to testify and so Verbal is released on bail. Coulion realises that Verbal made the whole thing up based on news reports on the bulletin board behind them. It's got various names and things that, that Verbal had mentioned in the whole thing. He chases after Verbal but just like that he's gone. Meanwhile a police sketches faxed over showing Kovash's description. That was the guy who was burnt to start. Uh, he was the other survivor on the ship. And it shows that the description of Soze, it shows that he looks just like Verbalkins. We then see Verbal walking along. He stops limping and flexes his hand, showing that he didn't have cerebral palsy. And he gets into a car with Kobayashi. The end. Ah, brilliant film. Brilliant ending. Uh, do you remember the first time you watched the film, Phil? Uh, yeah, I remember being blown away with it because it just, it just carries you along. You just get this huge story and you go, my God, that's amazing. And then the ending just flips it all around when you realise... None of it was real. None yeah. of it was how it was. And to this day, you just still don't know exactly what happened. Right, right. I mean, I, I remember watching it and just, you know, being caught up in it as a great crime thriller. And then at the end, when, when Brian Singer, you know, pulls the rug out from under you and you see Kuyan putting it all together and, and seeing all the things in the office that yeah. that Verbal was pulling the names from to make up this entire story. I mean, that is just such a gut punch. I, I you know, to this day, it's one of my favorite movie endings of all time and, and still really such a great movie. But uh, boy, man, there's nothing like that ending, especially that first time you see it. I mean, I do kind of envy anybody yeah. who hasn't seen the movie yet, who doesn't know how it ends, because getting to experience that for the first time again is, is really impactful. It's brilliant because it's not it's not just the main beats of the story that Verbal's telling. There's all the little bits, isn't it, about when he was in Skokie, Illinois and yep. all this stuff. Yep. Just things just to freshen up, but to uh, the character of Verbal Kent to just come up with these bits. Well, he was a con man, so... Right. It's just the way he does it. But, I mean, I've seen it many times since, and one of the best times, I saw it in Dublin a few years ago. I was invited over to a screening there uh, where Kevin Spacey was was a guest. Mm -hmm. And beforehand, uh, I was in, I was staying in the hotel that he was staying in, and I was I was taken into a meet, uh, an interview session with him, but it was I was the only English journalist there. Everybody else was from uh, Europe and things like that. And I, it was meant to be 10 minutes, and he ended up spending about an hour with us. And he went around, shook everybody's hand, chatted away unfortunately we couldn't record it but he was chatting away to everybody and, and he was also at the time he was the uh he was the director of the oh, i forgot the name of the theater in london but he was spending a lot of time in london mm -hmm. and because i was the only uk guy there every time he referred back to england he turned to me and go you know what i mean phil that's the way it is blah, blah, blah. and i was going yeah that's that's right Kev. yeah that's right but, but he was he's just he was such a nice person you could he made you feel like you know you're the most interesting person there and he was there for you it was just right. he's, he was a lovely bloke that's awesome to hear because you know he does have sort of this intensity on film that you know yeah, yeah. you you sometimes wonder how much of that carries over into his into his real life you know so yeah. it's good to hear that he was nice after meeting him you could easily see him going into politics though because he was so he could he just charmed you he was he was, he was brilliant yeah oh sure well i mean look at him on house of cards i mean obviously that's been hugely successful for him so exactly exactly yeah yeah but he was he was brilliant and he was you could have just you could have just sat there all day listening to his sure. stories right right really that's cool very cool yeah. so yes that's that's the one of the usual suspects so what have you got for your day after all righty the day after. So as the film ends, we saw Verbal Kent's car pulls away just as Agent, Agent Kuyan rushes out of the police station. 
Kent tells Kobayashi to take him to the alternate office. He knows that his cover has been blown and he needs to regroup. Meanwhile, Kuyan is gutted that he let Kaiser Soze slip through his fingers. Knowing that he must still be in the area, he mobilizes the California Police Department and the customs agents, and he calls in the FBI and sets them out on a citywide manhunt, all on the search for Soze slash verbal. When his bosses call him in and question why he's using such an incredible amount of federal resources to capture one man, Kuyan shows them a sketch of Kaiser Soze and identifies him <laughs> as a criminal mastermind. He tells them that by capturing Soze, they can cripple the drug trade and drastically reduce the amount of drugs flowing into the country illegally. And that's my day after. Oh, very good. Okay. So what have you got for your day after? Okay. Kudian starts making calls to try and stop Fairbill getting away, but it's too late. He's disappeared. He sends the facts out to all airports, docks, and police departments as far as he can send them. He just he realizes he's let someone someone big go. Meanwhile, Verbal and Kobayashi drive for hours until they get to a large house in the hills. They go in and are greeted by Fenster. He wasn't killed, hmm. as the trio make up the myth that is Kaiser Soze. They had all once been minor criminals years before, but, but were recruited by a top-secret government organization. They work in the shadows to keep Earth safe. Their handler is a woman who they never meet. The events on the ship were to destroy a new bioweapon that Keaton was unwittingly smuggling into the country. And that's my day after. Wow, you took that in a direction I did not expect, Phil, I have to admit. Thank you very much. Well, just I was just thinking the fact everything he said is you don't know what's true and what isn't. You've just got to right. pick, pick the bits you want. But that's right. my day after. What about your immediate aftermath? All right. Well, after Kint escapes, Kuyan appropriates $60 million of federal money earmarked for the war on drugs and goes to work hunting verbal. The city is on a sort of lockdown, with the California Police Department, customs agents, and FBI constantly on the hunt for Verbal and Kobayashi. But Verbal has left the state. First, he stops in Washington, where he owns an office through several shell companies. He relocates all of his money and ownings and pretty much erases the Verbal Kint identity completely. Then he heads east to Niagara Falls. He has a few stops to make for business purposes, but eventually he intends to cross the border into Canada and make his way to the coast while he decides where he wants to set up shop. Meanwhile, Kuyan gets a tip that Verbal has been spotted and heads east to try and capture him. Kuyan catches up with Verbal at Niagara Falls. He confronts him at the edge of the waterfall. Verbal is surrounded by Kuyan and about a dozen police and FBI agents armed with automatic weapons. And we're going to leave it on a cliffhanger for just a moment. Very nice. While you do, thank you, while you deliver your immediate yeah, Very nice. And also reminds me a bit of Sherlock Holmes, the Reichenbacher Falls. Oh, yeah. No, I think there was definitely a, a little bit of influence there because I definitely had a very clear picture in my head of this sort of, you know, showdown on a waterfall. Very so, good. And I'm a big Sherlock Holmes fan. Excellent. So. Okay. So my immediate aftermath, Kulion keeps following down leads, many of which had been placed by Verbal, Fenster, and Kobayashi. They knew Kulion could be a pain in future missions, but he could also be useful at some point. Meanwhile, they've been in contact with Winston Wolfe, who's part of another cell in their organization, which is so secret, by the way, it hasn't got a name. Right. Uh, Winston Wolfe notifies them of another potential agent, an ex-hitman called Jules Winfield. And that's the end of my immediate aftermath. All right. Interesting. Thank you. Uh, do you want to take us home with your long term? Sure thing. All right. Hopefully this, hopefully this works. Okay. Kuyan approaches Verbal, but when Verbal pulls a gun, Kuyan shoots him and he goes over the falls. Kuyan and the agents rush to the edge of the falls, but Kint's body has been swallowed by the power of millions of gallons of rushing water. A few days later, Kobayashi pulls into a warehouse in Ontario, Canada. He opens the car door, and a man gets out and walks into the deserted building. As he enters the building, the man is met by verbal Kint slash Kaiser Soze sitting on a leather couch. You performed your duties exceptionally well, Agent Kuyan, he says. Thank you, Kaiser, Agent Kuyan responds. He tells Kuyan... 
He tells Verbal that he transferred $50 million of the federal government's money into Verbal's accounts, and they were none the wiser thanks to the outpouring of efforts into bringing about Kaiser Soze's downfall. You can expect a sizable bonus once the heat dies down, Verbal tells him. Now that Verbal Kint is dead, Kaiser Soze can live. <laughs> oh, very nice. Brilliant. That, that did surprise me. I was just, oh, I like it. Thank you. And again, there's a little postscript here. Okay. Back at the FBI headquarters, a man in a black suit stamps case closed on a file marked Kaiser Soze. He fills out paperwork proclaiming that Soze is deceased. As he closes the file, he takes a look at the sketch that Agent Kuyan presented to his superiors and chuckles. Who would have thought that an overweight bearded man with a ponytail and a scar over one eye could be one of the biggest criminals in the world? <laughs> and that's the end. Oh, very nice. I like that. Thank you. So, yeah, a little... Uh, Little uh, double agent stuff yeah. going on there. Nice I was trying. To, I was trying to think of a good, you know, sort of twist to sort of mirror what the, you know, the twist in the movie. Yeah, so. yeah. Oh, very nice. I like that. Thanks. I did wonder though why you mentioned he got the sixty million budget. I was thinking. Ah, uh, see. I was yeah. Very nice. Okay. Yeah. I'm trying. I'm trying. I'm trying. I may yeah. not be. A, I may not be Christopher McQuarrie, but I, I like to have a little fun with things. Anyone could be Chris, Christopher McQuarrie. You just need to change your name. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. Yeah. All right, so Phil, wrap things up for us and give us your long term. Okay, always working in the shadows, Verbal, Fenston, and Kobayashi have been working hard stopping various terrorist attacks and saving millions of lives. Kulion gave up searching for Kaiser Soze as he knew it could drive him insane if he carried on. At the moment, Fenster was on a long-term mission on the border area between the U.S. and Mexico. Verbal had spent a few years in a men mental institute claiming to be an alien and had finally returned for debriefing <laughs> with Kobayashi. Another agent, who went by the name of Bob Harris, been masquerading as an, uh, an actor, and had returned from a successful mission in Japan. He thought he had evaded a, a new agent, a beautiful young woman going by the name of Charlotte. Her actual name, though, was Natasha Romanoff, a fact she had told him when she whispered it to him in Japan. Things would never be the same again. Mm, very nice. Thank you very much. I like it. Getting a little few other movies in there. Now, wait a second. Okay, so obviously I know Natasha Romanoff from The Avengers. Who was Bob Harris, though? Uh, well, who plays Natasha Romanoff? Scarlett Johansson. She is a beautiful woman in Japan. Yeah. Uh, wasn't that... Lucy? Lost in Translation. Lost in, oh, yeah. That's the problem. I haven't seen that movie. Oh, you haven't seen that? Bill Murray. Very good film, yeah. Bill Murray, yes. So right, he was the okay. agent. And also I mentioned Fenster was a long-term mission on the border area between the U.S. and Mexico, which is Sicario. Sicario. That yes. I caught. Yep. And did you get the, uh, the... And K-Pax. That's the, the one. Yeah, you got it. You got it. Yep. Brilliant. Yep. Yes. Very good. Very good. I like it. But but uh, it's something like The Usual Suspects. It's one of those films where the whole film is self-contained and you, you wouldn't expect it to be a sequel or anything. So you just thought... Just might as well go, what the hell? Go oh, absolutely. Weekend. Yeah, yeah. You can do anything with it because, like you said, there's not really – it's not the kind of movie that needs or wants yeah, a sequel. Yeah. So It's a good standalone film, but as we are on after the ending, we can give any film a sequel. Right. And Hollywood you, will come knocking one day. That's right. You know what I thought was funny about watching the movie, though? I watched it – like I said, I watched it again last night. And, yeah. you know, all of the main actors relatively more or less – look kind of the same-ish then as they do now. I mean, obviously, they've aged a little bit, but nobody looks like, you know, they all kind of look like themselves, except Benicio Del Toro, who looks like he's about 12 and a half in this movie yeah, compared to how he's... he looks now. Like, he's... He is very young, yeah. I don't know if he's just aging terribly or what, but in this movie, he looks like a, practically a teenager, you know, and, and now he looks like sort of like a haggard old man. Yeah, he's... Whereas everybody else just sort of looks like, eh, they look like they're a few years older. You yeah. know what I mean? They put on a bit of weight, some of the others, but yeah, I know what you mean about that, yeah. Right, he looks like a kid. It's so funny to me. But he—he he is one of my favorite parts of the film, and I—I oh, yeah. I wish he was in it more. Right, right. But, exactly. but it's like 1995, so it's like it's 21 years old. I know it's crazy, isn't it? God. So, Phil, tell us what—what uh, what about some of the usual trivia that you may have about the movie? 
Okay, well, the famous quote, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled. Which I'll point out is the first movie that we've done an After the Ending for that appears in our uh, opening music, our opening oh, yes, song. Oh, yes, it does, yeah. Yep. Yeah, of course, yeah. Uh, it's, it's sort of, it's almost exactly, it's a quote by, from the French poet, philosopher, Charles Baudelaire. And it also, the quote also features in the film End of Days, the Arnold Schwarzenegger film, which also stars Gabriel Byrne and Kevin Pollack. That's right. That's yes. right. Interesting. The film cost $6 million to make and was shot over 35 days. Kaiser Soze was based on John List, a person who murdered his family and disappeared for 17 years. Mm-hmm. But Kaiser Soze's name was actually taken from one of Christopher McQuarrie's um, former co-workers at the law firm that he worked at. That's right. Yeah, but he changed it slightly because... Yeah, he didn't get sued. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think, yeah. Uh, Al Pacino read for the role of David Cuyon, but he had to pass due to scheduling conflicts and he wished he'd sort of, it was one of the roles he wished he could have done. Uh, the role was also offered to Christopher Walken, uh, Clark Gregg, who is the guy from, Phil Coulson from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. in the Marvel films, and Robert De Niro was also offered it. Uh, and I would have been happy seeing any of them doing it, actually. Sure, yeah, yeah. definitely. And um, this one I quite like, uh, Michael Bean. You know, the guy we all know from Aliens. One of my favorites. Terminator. Yeah. yeah, one of my favorites as well. He was the first choice to play McManus, which was mm. played by Stephen Baldwin. But he had to turn it down as he was in the film Jade. Oh, man. Yeah, no. <laughs> Although I think Jade probably made more money at the box office. Yeah, I think it probably did. Also started, I think it also started Chaz Palminteri in that as well. I think you're right. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I think initially that made a lot, lot more, but over Clearly time. Not, not doesn't have not stood the, te- the yeah. test of time quite as well, though. Yeah. Would have been nice to see Michael Bean in it because I do like him. Oh yeah, I do too, for sure. But that's uh, that's the usual suspects. All right, and, and Phil, I gotta say I'm a little disappointed though. You left out one piece of trivia that I was hoping you would mention. Which which one's that? The name of the movie itself comes from a line in my favorite movie of all time, Casablanca. Oh yeah, yeah. Where Louis, that played by Peter Lorre, says, "Round up the usual suspects." Indeed. That's where the name of the movie came from. So just had to throw that one in there because you know, anytime I have a chance to mention Casablanca, yes. uh, I will. That's well worth mentioning. All righty. So there you go. Those are our endings for Ed TV and The Usual Suspects. Two terrific movies, although both very different, uh, both enjoyable and very much worth watching. So let's move on to our mighty morphing mini feature for the week. Phil, tell people what we're going to be talking about right now. Well, the mini feature has a brilliant name, many thanks to Mike, called Lights, Camera, Action Figure. It was really kind of a joint, a joint effort, I think. I think we both kind of came up with that. Okay, well, you're you're being very modest. (laughs) Lights, camera, action figure. Yeah. uh, In which we are going to talk about some of our favorite movie tie-in toys, uh, perhaps from our childhood, perhaps not, but things, toys that we have fond memories of playing with uh, that that are related to movies in some way. Yes. So uh, I thought this would be fun because Phil and I are both big kids at heart. We both love toys and we both love movies, so it seemed like a natural fit. Exactly. So do you want to take it away with your first toy? Sure. So my first toy is kind of a cheat because it's not actually from a movie, but it is from a TV series. Uh, But it is one of my fondest uh, childhood memory toys and one of the earliest toys that I really remember like just loving and playing with to death. And it was the 12-inch action figure of the $6 million man. Um, And uh, for those of you who never owned one or aren't familiar with it, it's basically, you know, like a a Barbie-sized doll of Lee Majors as the the $6 million man. Uh, I believe he had an orange jumpsuit, although don't hold me to that because I'm working from memory here. No, he did one of my – I never had one myself, but one of of our neighbor's kids used to have have the same toy. Yeah, and and, um, what I loved about it, so it came with a steel girder that he could could lift, you know, with his – 
bionic uh, arm and stuff. But that's right. They had um, you could actually pull back the rubber of his arm on one arm, and underneath it was a sticker of <laughs> bionics. So it looked made I me mean, like a cyborg thing. So you could actually peel up his arm and see the little sticker of you know of his mechanics at work, which I always thought was super cool. And one of his eyeballs had like a sort of like a like almost like a telescope function. Yeah, so you could just, hold yeah. the head up and look through the back of his head and see out his eyeball and see his bionic vision. Um, and you know, yeah. I I mean, I loved the show when I was a kid, but I had that toy, and boy, I played with it for for years. I don't know what happened to it, unfortunately. I wish I still had it, but uh, I'm sure it got lost or we moved or sold in the yard sale at some point. But um, definitely one of the very first toys I remember having a real connection with and, and just really being one of my absolute favorites. That's that's an excellent choice. I'd forgotten all about it, but I remember, yeah, I always, I always wanted one when I saw it. Yeah, it was, it was super cool. It. Super cool. eBay. Oh, God. <laughs> Vintage, 1975, $6 million man, still in the box, Colonel Steve Austin. Uh-huh, how much? This is, uh, well, it's, I'm in the UK, so it's uh, 80 pounds. All right, so that's probably about a, what, $160 maybe? I don't know, like $130 probably. $130, all right, so, so so more than I could afford to spend on a yeah. toy right at the Oh, no, there's another one box that was well going for 100 pounds, so that's probably wow. about 100 yeah. Yeah, so there you go. Well, if any of our listeners well, $179. out there. $179, what's that? My God, what a variation. <laughs> any of our listeners out there have one they want to get rid of, just uh, send, it, send it my way. I'll be happy to take it off your hands, and, you know, as, as a gift. No, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm not spending $180 on a toy. I think my wife would uh, leave me if uh, look, looking at the toy now, the bit with the bionic eye, which I always thought was so cool, it looks like he's got like a, he suffered some some major injury to his head. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. I do remember it was a cool effect, but when you looked at him facially, yeah. it was kind of a little disconcerting that he has sort of like the one lizard eye, you know, yeah. but it was but still not, cool and I, I loved it. Good memory. How about yours? Uh, yeah, okay. So my, uh, the one, it's also a TV show. It was uh, Space 1999. There was the spacecraft and that, the Eagle. Mm-hmm. Which I always thought was such a cool, stylish thing. Did you get, did you get Space 1999 in the U.S.? Oh, yeah. It's got yeah. a fan following over yeah. here. In fact, I mentioned it in one of my endings a week ago. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um, uh, I, I only watched it on DVD when it came out. I never saw it originally. Um, but I know it's definitely got a cult following yeah. here in the States, for well, sure. I always liked the uh, the spacecraft in it because it was, it was kind of like a workhorse kind of spacecraft. But it, the toy action figure it had like a cool cockpit and like a framework where you could have different cargo things, a bit like uh, Thunderbird 2. Right. You could have a different cargo thing. And I always remember having one of them and you, you could have one which where people could go in or you'd have one which would drop uh, uh, these little yellow plastic pyramid things, which I always thought were bombs, but I think to actually <laughs> survey equipment and stuff. Right, right. But I just I always remember that because the fact you could, if, if your friends had different ones, the, the different cargo things, you could swap them around. And it was made of, back then, you know, things like that were made of metal and they were solid and they, you could just, you'd be flying them around. You could sort of, you know, bash, you do, as it always happened in the episodes, one of the eagles would always crash land. So you could do that in the right. garden and crash land, and it would it wouldn't matter because you know it was made of metal; it was solid. Yeah, yeah. And any scratches would just make make it look like it was a workhorse spacecraft. But that was always one of the ones which always I always remember having, and uh, it was always good fun. And always, I was just I just remember being in the garden or the backyard, you know, playing spaceships with that. It was a sure, good yeah, one. yeah, very cool, very cool. Okay, so what about uh, your next one? 
All right. Well, my other one is, uh, I mean, obviously, you know, we have to mention two things every episode, as it seems like, and that's Robert Redford and Star Wars. So <laughs> uh, we're checking off those boxes. But uh, my, my other one, of course, is a Star Wars toy. I know that will come as a big surprise to yeah. anybody listening. But um, it's not just, you know, Star Wars figures in general. That was one particular one. You know, the the Kenner three and three quarter inch line, you know, I had a bunch of the different Star Wars figures. And I have a lot of memories attached to very um, various figures from that line. So I'm yeah, sure if, yeah. we, if we revisit this feature, which I already can think of 20 other toys I'd love to talk about. Um, so I'm sure we will revisit this feature. But <laughs> so, so plenty of stories to tell about other Star Wars figures. But the one that stood out the most for me was Han Solo in his Hoth gear from Empire Strikes Back. That's <laughs> him in his blue parka with his, you know, kind of uh, waffle cone looking pants on. Yeah. And, um, and, you know, I don't know what it was about that figure so much, but it was easily my favorite figure hands down. And uh, maybe because I love that movie so much. And I love the Hoth. You know, the Adats were like dinosaurs and I was a kid into dinosaurs but that Han figure went with me everywhere I went and it was easily the toy I played with the most out of all the Star Wars figures you know he was always at the forefront of the action I had the Tauntaun that you you know his you couldn't put the figures you couldn't straddle the Tauntaun because their legs didn't really move. So instead, they, they built a little trap door into the Tauntaun. That's you just shoved right, yeah, Han yeah. up into his waist, you know. But it actually looked pretty good. I mean, it was a fairly decent effect for, you know, for toys from, from that era. Um, so I, I'd have him traipsing around in his little Tauntaun. But, um, you know, Han Solo has always been my favorite character, and that sort of is my favorite kind of iteration. So anytime I see anything of Han in his Hoth gear, I'm, I'm instantly drawn to it. Whether it's, you know, a T-shirt or a poster or a, an action figure, a trading card, I'm always like, oh, it's Han in Hoth gear. Got to get that <laughs> yeah yeah so. yeah i had the same action figure and i remember uh, i think we had princess leia hoth yeah she was great too and a few i don't, don't think we had a taunt but i remember me and my brother we what we used to do we used to get uh like the duvet of his bed or mine take the cover off so it was all white and we used to throw it on the floor so it looked like snowfields <laughs> and go. We'd, we'd play like that right very oh, cool. i forgot about that brilliant yeah see yeah all right very good so what's your uh what's your second one then Phil? well mine is uh also Star Wars, but it's a... Shocking. I know. But it wasn't, uh, not one, so much when I was a kid, but a bit older when the, the, the lightsabers came out, you know, you could play with them. And uh, But one of the ones where it was like a green one, it was Luke's, Luke's lightsaber, had the plastic telescopic bits. So when you, you know, you, you flicked it, it would like expand out and you could press the button and do the sound and everything and light up. Yep, I remember. And when you hit it, hit it did the sound and things. And uh, that's that's been knocking around. It's still actually here. Oh, yeah. But it needs batteries, otherwise I do the sound now. The bat- the, actually, the batteries ran out for the first time about, must have been this time last year. Wow, that's crazy. That Even though it was used quite a bit. But I always remember it's the kind of thing when uh, I'd have friends around, you know, a bit obviously older, having a bit to drink and stuff. If that was knocking about, one of them would pick it up. And because it's Star Wars, everybody loves Star Wars, they'd pick it up and they just, they'd flick it out, put the sound on and be fighting Darth Vader in their mind. You know, right, it's just, right. It's just one of those, it's one of those toys, it doesn't matter what age you are. Oh, yeah. just... It just takes you. You feel, you feel like you're a Jedi when you you've got it in your hands. Oh yeah, for sure. Whenever yeah. whenever you hold a lightsaber, you feel cool. I mean, there's no yeah. there's no two ways about it. Yeah, even though it's a plastic toy going, but it's uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, the minute you said that, everybody out there was doing the noise in their head. They're all yeah. going, vroom, yeah. Vroom, yeah. you know, that's exactly. Like, yeah. <laughs> everybody's hearing it in their head. You know, it's not yeah. just us. <laughs> <laughs> but that's that's uh, yes. I mean, Star Wars toys. I always remember also another same neighbor had the uh, six million dollar man. They had a they had a thing for the uh, a play set for the Death Star. Oh yeah, like a cardboard thing, and it was just it was like two levels, and um, you had like the hangar bay, uh, prison block, and other bits and pieces. And I, m- I remember playing, but I was all wishing I could have that as well. Oh, I always wanted the Atat. Oh yeah, yeah. But, Who uh, didn't? <laughs> yeah. But I had I did have the Millennium Falcon. Oh, very nice. The original nice. one. 
I did not. And then uh, I remember getting off at Christmas and my dad helped me put the stickers on. Oh, yeah. And then it turns out, and if my mum's listening to this, she'll be she'll probably be shouting at me going, what are you talking about that for? She ended up giving that away <laughs> and some other, lots of other figures and things to a charity shop. Oh, uh, well, that's... A few years ago. You know, like I always say, if everyone's moms didn't give away their comic books and action figures, they wouldn't be worth the money they're worth today because everyone would still have them. Exactly, yeah. So, you know, but, so your mom may have given away your toys, but she also helped fuel an entire collector's market. But I want my toys now. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that, Phil. You'll have to just, you know, try and get over it. I know. All right. Well, there you go. So that is Lights, Camera, Action Figures. I think we are going to return to this segment in the future, as yeah. clearly we have enjoyed this trip down memory lane. Yes, it's uh, certainly reminded me. That $6 million, man, I'd forgotten all about that yeah. one. Yeah. So if you've got some toys from your childhood that you want to talk about, send us a message. We'll tell you how to do that in a little bit. We'd love to hear about them, and we will share some of the best ones on a future episode. Indeed. So, all right. Well, then why don't we move on, Phil, to our 100 years of films in 100 episodes, wherein we break down our top 10 films of a particular year in the last one. 100 years of Hollywood, and this week we are doing 1991. So, Phil, why don't you take us back in time to 1991 and tell us what was happening in the world? Yes, 1991. When I was looking at this, I was thinking, well, it's not that long ago, but God, how time flies. Yeah, right? Yeah. Okay, well, uh, over in the, let's go back in the way, way back machine. The Prime Minister in the UK was John Major, and over in the US, it was George Bush, the first one. Uh, okay, so let's see the facts from that year. Dublin was uh, the European capital of culture. US serial killer Eileen Wenos confessed to, mur- to the murder of six men, and uh, she was the subject of the film Monster with Charlize Theron. The Street Fighter II uh, was released in arcades. Arcades? I miss arcades. <laughs> yeah. You and me both. Yeah. Uh, the beating of Rodney King by LA police officers was caught on camera. Uh, 20 paintings worth $500 million were stolen from the Van Gogh Museum in Amsterdam. They were found in an abandoned car an hour later. Somebody panicked there, didn't they? Yeah, I think so. (laughs) Uh, The first Starbucks opened in California. The first Sonic the Hedgehog game was published. Jeffrey Dahmer was arrested. And the Super Nintendo was released in the US. All right. And in that year, uh, we have some famous people who were born in 1991. Uh, Emma Roberts, Bonnie Wright, Ed Sheeran, uh, Emily Bett Rickards, she's uh, Felicity and Arrow, and Shailene Woodley were born. That makes me feel even older. And in 1991, we lost Serge Gainsbourg, Aldo Ray, Kevin Peter Hall, Don Siegel, Gene Clark, Gene Arthur, Michael Landon, Lee Remick, Frank Capra, Dr. Seuss, Miles Davis, Gene Roddenberry, Red Fox, Gene Tierney, Erwin Allen, Klaus Kinski, and Freddie Mercury, amongst many others. Ooh, jeez. I know. All right. Well, there we go. That is 1991. So let's uh, let's discuss our films. Yes, okay. So there were lots of good films in 1991. It was a good year for film. Yes, yes, indeed. Yes. So do you want to take it away, Mike? Sure thing. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cheat a little bit, and I'm going to start with a number 11. Okay. Uh, and the reason I did that is because there's a film I really wanted to mention, um, but it, it wasn't quite good enough to really legitimately make my, my number my top 10, um, but okay. I'm going to mention it anyway. So my number 11 is Showdown in Little Tokyo, ah, yeah, which yeah. stars Brandon Lee and Dolph Lundgren. And uh, longtime listeners of the show will know back in episode 11, we talked about The Crow, and I got emotional. I talked about what an impact it had on me and what a big fan yeah. of Brandon Lee's I was. And Showdown in Little Tokyo is an action film. It's kind of your, your typical buddy cop movie, you know, fish out of water. You've got... 
Brandon Lee, who's Asian, who doesn't do martial arts, teaming up with Dolph Lundgren, who's white, who does do martial arts, and they're kind of like, you know, oil and water. Um, but it's got some great action sequences, and it's just a really fun film. So if you haven't seen that one, track it down. Yeah, I, me- I remember watching that getting out the video store when it came out. Yeah, yeah. I it's only watched time. it the once, but I remember enjoying it because I've always liked Dolph Lundgren yeah. and Brandon Lee. Yeah, I was. Uh, yeah, I'll have, to, I'll have to should watch that again. Actually, yeah, I watched it actually not too long ago, and I really enjoyed it. It holds up pretty well. So, mm. so that's my number eleven. Just kind of threw it on there because because it's a movie I love. My my number ten film um, is is not the most popular movie in in the world or in this actor's canon, but I happen to have a soft spot for it, and it is Harrison Ford's Regarding Henry. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's the story of a man who is not very nice, uh, who suffers a brain injury and has to kind of relearn his life all over again, and in the process becomes a much nicer man. And um, there's a line in the movie I love, which is simply, nice table. Uh, and it's a quote that I've tried to quote for <laughs> You know, 25 years, but nobody ever catches. So someday I'm going to say that to somebody and they're going to go, regarding Henry. Um, but it's, it's you know, it's, it's kind of a dramedy. It's got some really nice touching moments. It's got some good humorous moments. And it's, like I said, it's not one of his most popular films, but I, I really loved it when it came out. And I've seen it a couple times since, and I really enjoy it. No, it's, it's a good pick. Very good pick. Thank you. How about your number 10, Phil? Okay, my number 10 pick is Naked Lunch, based on William S. Burroughs' 1959 novel of the same name. And it's directed by David Cronenberg, so yeah, it's uh, it messes with your head quite a bit. It stars Peter Weller, Judy Davis, Ian Holm, and it's it's a bizarre film. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense, although it sort of does. I remember going to see it when my friend Pete was always talking about the novel, and then we heard it was going to be made into a film. And always like David Cronenberg, went to watch it. it was a late night showing in the cinema, and it blew my mind. And it's. It was just had some great practical effects. It was very disturbing, and it just—it's always—it's always stuck with me. So that's why it's my number ten. All right, fair enough. It's not—it's not the kind of thing you just just whack on and go, "Ha oh, ha, this is enjoyable." It's a memorable film, but not everyone's going to like it. Right? Sure. Yeah. Okay. Well, my number nine is. Bugsy, starring Warren Beatty and Annette Bening. Uh, again, I don't know if this is a film that's particularly well-loved, but uh, it's actually, I remember seeing it in theaters and I really liked it. Uh, and then I watched it again on DVD a couple years ago and I actually thought it was even better than the first time I saw it. And it's the true story of gangster Bugsy Siegel and his involvement in sort of the launch of Las Vegas. And um, it's just kind of a cool, you know, kind of gangster movie slash romantic drama but it's got a lot of lighter moments in it and i yeah. think warren Beatty's great in it i think annette benning is great in it and uh just a movie that i happen to really enjoy yeah it's good. I've, I've only seen it the once but i remember enjoying it yeah yeah it's good stuff because it's it's a great cast and it's always interesting seeing that that period in history right for sure good pick all right okay my number nine is wes craven's the people under the stairs okay starring brandon adams everett mcgill uh, Ving Rhames, mm-hmm. I think it was one of his, probably one of his first roles. Basically, following a couple of criminals, a little kid who end up, they rob people's houses and they break into this house to steal some stuff. It's uh, one of those houses at the end of the street where people don't really, you know, you know it's a bit weird, but they go in and he finds out it really is rather strange. People wearing gimp suits, there's people under the stairs, there's somebody with no tongue hiding in the walls. It's dark, twisted, bizarre, uh, but most enjoyable whenever it's on TV. I can't help but watch it. It's probably it's probably not Wes Craven's best film, but I, I always enjoy seeing it. Mainly, I also remember because it had a... Was Everett McGill and Wendy Roby? They were the ones in Twin Peaks. They're the two people who own the house. And I always remember that I always enjoyed them in Twin Peaks and I always enjoyed seeing them in this. But it's uh, Twisted Moments and I just like watching it. And the fact that it is all in the one house. Right, right, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's a good film. 
That's my number nine. All right. Well, my number eight is Defending Your Life, written and directed by and starring one Albert Brooks, also co-starring Meryl Streep. Uh, And I believe I actually told the story of how I ended up seeing this movie in an early episode Mm -hmm. um, as I was trying to sneak into an R-rated movie and got caught. So uh, I ended up seeing Defending Your Life, had no idea what it was. And it's the movie that made me an Albert Brooks fan. It's about a guy uh, who's not very nice, (laughs) much like Henry in my number 10 pick. Actually, my first three (laughs) movies are about guys who aren't very nice, apparently. Uh, But he, uh, he goes to heaven and... And has to basically defend his life. Well, he goes, doesn't go to heaven. He guess he goes sort of to this, the stopping point on the way to heaven. Uh, has to defend his life, which isn't very easy because he, he was not the nicest guy. And in the, uh, in, along the way, he falls in love with Meryl Streep. And uh, it's a great comedy. A lot of funny moments. A lot of good humor based on the concepts of heaven. Uh, and Albert Brooks is just terrific in it. So that's my pick. Very good. Yeah, it's a good film. I've only seen it once a long time ago. And I couldn't really remember it that well, so very good. Okay, my number eight is the French film Delicatessen, directed by Jean-Pierre Junot and Marc Caro. It stars Dominic Pinon, Marie... It stars Dominic Pinon, <laughs> because I can't pronounce most of the others. Uh, it's set in an apartment building in post-apocalyptic France. Uh, you're not sure what time it is, but it's very stylish. All Jean-Pierre Junot's films are that kind of gorgeous look to them with the colours and the sumptuous kind of look to it. But it's uh, the bottom of the apartment block. There's a butcher's shop and the uh, the butcher lures people into there, chops them up and sells them as a cheap source of meat because, as I said, it's post-apocalyptic. It's dark and twisted but very funny and it just has a great visual style to it and I do like his films, uh, such as like The City of Lost Children. Right. But it's a, it's just a great visual film to watch. Very good. Very cool. I'm very dark and very funny. Right, right. Excellent. All right, terrific pick. My number seven is A Tale as Old as Time, Beauty and the Beast, Disney's (laughs) Beauty and the Beast, which we did at our After the Endings for just a handful of episodes ago. And um, I think we kind of covered what I have to say about the film back then, but obviously it was one of the top grossing films of the year. It's a beloved Disney classic. Um, I don't think you can not like Beauty and the Beast because it's terrific. It's only at number seven on my list because I really liked a lot of other films just a little bit more, but it is a movie that I love and my kids enjoy it now too, which is wonderful. So uh, there you go. It's a very good pick. And we did the after the ending of that in episode 16, looking at the list. Yeah. Yeah. it's, I really like the film as well. It didn't make my list, but as you say, there was lots of good films. I do enjoy watching it. Okay, dokie. Okay, my number seven is Terry Gilliam's The Fisher King, starring Rob, Rob Williams, Jeff Bridges, Mercedes Rule, Amanda Plummer. Uh, it's very good. Uh, Jeff Bridges is, is he's an American shock jock, and due to one of his calls, it ends up like a domino effect, which sees the death of Robin Williams' wife. Robin Williams loses his mind, and then he goes on a quest to recover the Holy Grail. And that end, Jeff Bridges ends up getting involved, and it's got those typical Terry Gilliam touches of fantasy mixing with the real world. And it's a great film with great characters, and it features the sadly missed Robin Williams. He is indeed sadly missed. I will say, as much as I appreciate the performances in that film, it's not a movie I'm particularly a fan of. Mm-hmm. Oh, I can e- I can easily see why. Most Terry Gilliam films deal with dark subject matter anyway, but this one. It does go. It's very dark. What happens to the people right. involved? Right, and it's it's dealing with insanity a bit more than his other ones do. Yes, yes, sure, sure. It's. I mean, it's a film I respect. It's just not a film that I enjoy watching. Yeah, so. yeah. 
All right. Well, uh, so far we've been uh, as about about as different as we can be on our films. Yes. Let's see if we start Just to converge bit. anytime soon. I do have a feeling that a few of our upcoming films might be shared, but I think I may throw a few curveballs in. But let's see. Number six, I have The Rocketeer, starring Billy Campbell and Timothy Dalton, based on the comics by the late, great Dave Stevens. Uh, never the hit that it should have been, but I remember going to see it with uh, six or seven of my, my, my friends at the time, and we all just absolutely loved it. It's just this great kind of rip-roaring, swashbuckling adventure film. You know, it's set in the 30s, and it's got the tone of the movies that were made in the 30s. Um, you know, it's, it's fun and fancy-free. It's not too serious. Uh, and it looks great. And it just it was never the big hit that it deserved. And, and, you know, here we are 25 years later. It's sort of a, I guess, kind of a cult classic, um, you know, because it just wasn't it wasn't it wasn't a flop, but it wasn't a big hit either. But I think there are people like like me, and I'm going to suspect it may show up on your list. I don't know. We'll see. Um, but who remember it very fondly and do still love that movie. So that's my number six, The Rocketeer. And if you haven't seen it out there, definitely do yourself a favor and rent it. It's a lot of fun. Yes, indeed. As you say, yeah, it should have should have been a lot bigger than it was. Yeah. Okay, so my number six, where are we? My number six is JFK, the conspiracy thriller by Oliver Stone, and starring Kevin Costner, Tommy Lee Jones, Gary Oldman, Michael Rooker. It would probably basic. be quicker just to say who's not in the movie. Yeah, that's very true. <laughs> yeah. It's a great film, whether you believe in the conspiracy or not. It's just, it's, I really like the way it's done, the way it's, everybody who's in it just, does a superb job i i feel it's put together really well and it just it goes through all those all those conspiracy theories that we've heard many times about the jfk assassination and puts it all together in a great movie i feel sure i i i'm going to disagree in terms of i mean it's it's you know again a movie i respect it's not a movie that i enjoy particularly yeah went yeah. back and watched it a couple of years ago thinking i might have more of an appreciation for it than i did when i was a teenager uh and i don't really i i'm not a huge oliver stone fan but i mean it certainly is yeah, a, yeah. a well put together film but for me it's just not quite there but i can i can certainly understand why it made your list what have you got for number five all right well my number five is uh it's bill and ted's bogus journey station <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, here's the thing. I think in the in the kind of the general public world, everyone loves Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, and most people have forgotten about Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, or just think of it as the you know the kind of the, the Ghostbusters two to Bill and Ted's Ghostbusters. You know, yeah. um, for my money, I will put Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey you know, miles above Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure because it's such a twisted. It really, yeah. It really took things in such a different direction. And there's so many lines from that movie that I still quote to this day. Um, you know, I love when they confront the devil and they're like, you ugly red source of all evil. You know, there's so many, just so many great lines and, and all the things when they're in hell and William Sadler is death playing games with oh, them and the station brilliant. aliens. It's just so surreal and so over the top, but it's so funny. And I, I watch that movie and I still laugh hysterically. And I love Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Don't get me wrong. It's a great film, but. But this movie just really cranked up the weird notch a bit. And I think the humor in it just really, really sinks with my sense of humor. Yeah. Um, and uh, I, I just absolutely love it. I never get tired of it. And I, I have a core group of friends that I can still quote with it. And the minute I say something like, ah, fresh fudge, they know exactly <laughs> what I'm talking about. Uh, so, um, so yeah, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey is my number five. It's just one of those films that I, I have loved for a long time and watch over and over and over again. And it's a great comedy. I I love Bill and Ted. I love that one as well. I know what you mean about it being it's the next stage up from Excellent Adventure. It didn't quite make my list. It almost did, 
but it went up and down a bit a few times. But I also love the fact that William Sadler's playing Death from uh, the Seventh Seal. Yep, yeah, he's great. And it's and just, he keeps, that, keeps yeah. losing the games, and he's like yeah. seven out of nine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. you're damn right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so oh, I, I should watch it yeah. again now because it's yeah. great stuff. Yeah, definitely worth a watch again if you haven't seen it in mm-hmm. a long time because I, I think people underestimate it. Okay, then my next one, my number five, I don't think it'll be on your list because it's a Coen Brothers film. <laughs> and it's uh, it's Barton Fink uh, starring John Turturro, John Goodman, Judy Davis. It's uh, I really like it. Uh, John is playing Barton Fink, who's a, a playwright, and he's hired to go to Hollywood and write some scripts for a film. And he ends up staying in a hotel next door to John Goodman, who's an insurance salesman, but could be something more, something darker. And it's like lots of the Coen Brothers films. Barton Fink, he's not entirely likable, but it just shows the the craziness involved in Hollywood where people people don't really listen to what other people say. And you, 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 you're writing one story and then it's getting changed out of... It goes all out of your control. And it's it's just supremely put, well put together. It's one of the Coen Brothers' great films. And it goes, it's full of darkness. And and when you finally figure out who John Goodman could be, he might not actually be what you think he is, but it's just, it just adds another element to it. And it's, uh, I really do like it. It's one of my, one of my favorite uh, Coen Brothers films. Very cool. Well, well. N- now listen, I don't hate the Coen Brothers. They're not like Wes Anderson, but I, I don't, I know, I'm not I know, a I huge fan of theirs either. But I will say in this case, I actually have not seen Barton Fink. Uh, so, ah, that's what I thought. I couldn't yeah, remember. I think you mentioned we did that mention a while, it a little ago, while yeah. ago. So it's certainly one yeah. I'd like to see. I've just never gotten around to it. So that's why it didn't possibly make my list. Not that it would have necessarily, but it could have is all I'm saying. Well, when you watch it, let, let us all know what you think. I will it. do that. All righty. So my number four pick is Dead Again, starring Kenneth Branagh and Emma Thompson. And it is just a really twisty thriller, very Hitchcockian, uh, one of the great movie posters ever, in my opinion. And um, it's just this really cool story of murder and potential reincarnation. And it has some twists and turns and a really great ending. And it's it's another movie that I always felt should have been a much bigger hit than it was. I remember when it came out, I actually became fairly obsessed with it because I just loved it so much. And I loved how just how twisty and how surprising it was. Um, yeah, and yeah. Uh, it's it's one of those movies that I just really, really love. And, and Kenneth Branagh is fantastic, and I believe he directed it. And uh, Emma Thompson's fantastic as well. So if you haven't seen that one, track it down. Uh, it, it you know what's nice about it is it's not a very famous movie in terms of you know big twists or anything like that. So most of the surprises should still be intact for you. So so check it out and and see what you think. Yeah, I'm, I think I've only seen it once when it came out, but. Uh... I remember enjoying it, and I think it's been so long since I've seen it. It'd be worth me watching again because I can't remember too much about it. Yeah, it's great stuff. Oh, yeah. Thanks for reminding me about that one. I'm trying. About that. <laughs> yeah. Very good. Okay, my number four is Point Break. Well, of course, we both know Point Break yes. is a great movie, as we did our after the ending for that not too long ago either. Yes, yes, yes. I mean, it's uh, it could have been higher, but when I was doing it, it just ended up being number four. Yeah, Patrick Swayze, Keanu Reeves, Gary Busey, Laurie Petty. Oh, just just excellent. You know, firing guns into the air while screaming no. <laughs> yep. It's got the it's got the best on foot chase scene I've ever seen. Brilliant. It is Absolutely. indeed. And Johnny Utah, the best character yeah. name in the history yeah, of movies. It's just it's a superb name, isn't it? Johnny Utah. And we gave what episode was that? Episode five. Yeah, episode five. We got wow. After the ending for Way that. Way back. All right. Well, Phil, I have to say that uh, unfortunately you messed up our number three synergy this week because my oh. number three pick this week is Point Break. 
Oh, I was almost number three. Uh, so you were almost there, but but they're very close on our list. So um, I think you've summed it up. I think we've talked about the film enough <laughs> between episode five and today. But like you said, it's fantastic. I love it. It was my number three. It is just one of the great action movies of all time as far as I'm concerned. So what did you have then? What's your number three then, if not Point Break? Well, my number three, you've already mentioned it, is The Rocketeer. Ah, good choice. I, knew, I had a feeling it would be on your list. Because yeah. it's, uh, I love the, the whole thing. I love the look of it, the design, the fact it's set in uh, the late 1930s. I thought uh, Billy K- Bill Campbell. He's so great in it. Yeah, he's so yeah. great in it. He was just he was just cool as well. The fact the fact he's a hero, even though he's not really a hero, he's just he's just trying to figure it all out as going on as well. It's got Jennifer Connelly, or I've always had such a crush on, and she looked stunning in it. And Timothy Dalton, who's so cool and playing against type, and Alan Arkin is in there too. Yeah, Alan Arkin, Paul Savino. Uh, it's just great cast. It just it looks so stylish and. I've always loved jetpacks. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, I mean, the effects, even though it's it's 1991, the, f- the flying effects are still pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. It's like for green sure. screen. I just I do do love it in the design of the helmet and the rocket pack. I'd love to have one of the rocket packs. I know you can buy replicas. Yeah, but they cost an absolute fortune. They cost more than the six million dollar man action figure. Yeah, but if, but if anybody's listening, you know, people who make the the replica rocket pack, if you want to send it over. We'll mention it. That's on, right. Uh, after that. That's right. We'd be happy to uh, mention your your uh, business for a couple of replica rocket packs. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A couple will do. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, um, obviously, a pick we both agree on. I'm going to say that even though we missed on a number three, though, I, I will be very surprised if our top two films are not the same because I think when you come to 1991, um, these are iconic movies, and I think the only question will be. And I hope I'm not setting us up for a fall here, Ooh, Phil. But could be a fall, couldn't the it? The only question will be if we get them in the same order or not. So Ooh. my number two pick is Terminator 2, mm. starring, of course, Arnold Schwarzenegger uh, and uh, Linda Hamilton and directed by James Cameron. I don't think I need to tell you too much about the film. I will say that... Uh, is that the one with the, uh, the killer cyborg? <laughs> yeah, that's the one. Sounds familiar, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I will say I saw this movie five times in theaters, which isn't a lot, I realize, but some people have seen movies, you know, a hundred times in theaters. But at this point in my life, I was a teenager. I had never gone to the movies that many times for anything. But I I remember seeing it at a sneak preview a couple nights before it opened, and then I just couldn't get enough of it. I kept going back every weekend, going back and going back and going back. And like I said, that was the first time I think I'd ever seen anything more than twice in the theaters. And I just, honestly, I would have gone more, uh, you know, if I could have. But, um, you know, I was a huge Terminator fan already. Terminator 2 just I mean the special effects you know are mind blowing yeah. for the time the T-1000 and, uh, yeah I mean it's just and it's like I said it's an iconic it's one of the greatest science fiction action films of all time uh, and honestly it could have been my number one very easily I sort of had to waffle between my top two picks so um, but I love it and it's it's just it's fantastic so that's my number two okay. it's funny isn't it though James Cameron he took like Terminator and Alien and then did sequels to them and they're they take the basic idea, but they they just expand on it. Yep, and do it in such a good way. Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, he should he should do sequels to more. All right, so let's hear it, Phil. What's your number two? Okay, my number two is Silence of the Lambs. Uh-huh. Very good. Yes, a little film directed by Jonathan Demme, uh, Jodie Foster, Anthony Hopkins, and Scott Glenn, and it's well, we all all know it's Hannibal Lecter. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. I think it's Chianti uh, and Fava Beans, baby. That's it. I mean, he's only in it for a short amount of time, but. Everybody involved does a fantastic job. But what's amazing about it is even though he's only in it for a short period of time, you don't notice that when you're watching yeah, it. Yeah, it's weird, isn't because it? Because his presence is so big that he yeah. permeates the entire film. Yeah. You know? It's it's amazing, isn't it? 
But yeah, that's we all know Silence of the Lambs, and it's my number two pick. Very good. All right. Well, like I said, I I, I wasn't surprised to see that my number one pick is Silence of the Lambs, <laughs> um, and uh, I think you just summed it up nicely. I will tell a funny story though about Silence of the Lambs. So, uh, well, as you know, I'm a big movie buff. I think people have probably figured this out by now. And um, <laughs> when the movie came out, I, I dragged my best friend to see it, who was not a movie buff, and so. The movie starts rolling, and um, you know the first like I don't know thirty seven minutes of the movie is seems like is Jodie Foster jogging in the woods, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so uh, she's jogging for like a minute or two, and finally my friend looks over at me. He's like, "What are we watching?" <laughs> and I'm like, "Silence of the Lambs." He's like, "Why are we watching this?" I'm like, "Because it looks really awesome." And this was like like opening weekend before it had become like the smash hit. Yeah. He's like. So whatever, I don't remember the exact conversation, but at that point, basically, we decided to leave the theater because he didn't want to watch it and go see something else. So we ended up going to see L.A. Story with Steve Martin, which is a movie that I love and actually almost made my top ten list. But um, But it's not Silence of the Lambs. It's not Silence of the Lambs. So we saw that. And then, for whatever reason, I couldn't get back to theaters for the longest time. So I ended up seeing Silence of the Lambs in theaters. I did see it in theaters, but it was at the tail end of its run. And everybody had seen it and was talking about it. And all my high school friends were going on and on about how great it was. And I was like... Well, I was in theaters like opening weekend and it was like me and my friend and like four other people like, you know, because I don't remember we were probably an afternoon show or something. You know, I hadn't the word of mouth hadn't quite turned it into the, you know, the giant smash. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so finally, after like 10 weeks of it playing in theaters, I saw it like at the tail end of its run. And I was like, yep, thanks for that. Do you want to name and shame your friend? <laughs> <laughs> no, he knows who he is. Oh, uh, yeah. And actually, for, yeah, for you know who you are. what's funny is, though, for years afterwards, we don't live in the same city anymore, but for years afterwards, whenever we go to the movies, and as soon as the lights would go down, one of us would always turn to the other one and go, what are we watching again? <laughs> you know, it was just became sort of a, a joke for us. Oh, but. no. I remember uh, seeing Anthony Hopkins, who's been interviewed about the film, and he was saying he went to see the film. I think it was in New York or somewhere. He went into a, it was a packed show ring. It had been out for a while, and he went in there to sit at the back and just watch it to see what people know the audience reaction was right and he said he was he was sat in front behind this woman and she was like going oh no ah, and just covering her eyes at all the things and think the gory bits were just the way it was talking and she was she was panicked about it but he uh he said as the lights came up he just uh leant forward and just said and with the you know the hannibal lecter voice did you enjoy the film <laughs> like, and he said she just lost it oh i'm sure how could you not just, it'd be great to be in a position to oh do yeah something like that yeah, absolutely. Well, anyway, so that is my number one pick. It's a film I love dearly. Uh, I think it's one of the greatest thrillers of all time. Uh, and um, unfortunately, none of the uh, none of the other films in the franchise have uh, since then have come close to the greatness of of Silence of the Lambs. But it's uh, it's a classic. So, hey. all right. Well, then, Phil, I think I know what your number one is. But why don't you go ahead and uh, and reveal it all to us anyway? Well, it's obvious. Goes without saying, it's a sequel to a, a much beloved science fiction. Uh, film. It's uh, Highlander 2, The Quickening. <laughs> no, it's not. No, it's not. No, it's not. <laughs> not. Not only is that a terrible sequel, it's one of the worst films ever made. Yes, um, yes. But <laughs> Okay, no, no, it's actually, it's, uh, it's a much beloved film. It stars a great action hero who was also in uh, one of, uh, well, he was in the uh, the Expendable films. It's uh, Hudson Hawk. <laughs> <laughs> no, that could be the worst film of all oh, time. Oh, seriously. Okay, so my number one. The suspense, the suspense is killing me, Phil. Great films of all time. It starts, great action hero who's in uh, The Expendables, one of the Expendable films. It's Double Impact. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep. If it, listen, uh, if a Jean-Claude Van Damme movie ever makes anybody's number one on this list, then I think we're in trouble. Even, <laughs> yeah. even Time Cop, which is his best film by far, is far from a number one film. Yeah, so. yeah, true, yeah. All right. Uh, how okay. long are you going to stretch this out for, Phil? Okay, no, it's okay, okay. It's a great action film. It's, it was a sequel. It's American Ninja 4, The Annihilation. 
Okay. Okay. <laughs> what else you got, Phil? <laughs> keep them coming. Got to keep them coming. <laughs> okay. Let's see. Where are we? It's a great film. It's a sequel. Second in the series. The Never Ending Story 2, the chapter. <laughs> the next chapter. Uh-huh. I can't possibly keep this going. I, I, <laughs> it may be wearing out its welcome. Uh, okay. It's a great film. Star starred one of the guys was in the Expendables. It's Oscar. <laughs> <laughs> okay, forget it. Now. I like Oscar. I don't think I've ever seen it. To uh, it's actually not that bad. Although I haven't seen yeah. it in a long time, so it might yeah. be terrible now. But I remember liking it okay. at the time. Well, is it Stone Cold? <laughs> no, it's not Stone Cold. No, no. Harley Davidson and the Marvel Man. No, although I do like that movie. Dying Young. <sighs> Suburban Commander, what was that one? That was, oh, that Hulk, was Hogan. Hulk Hogan. Oh, Jesus Christ, that was bad. Okay, yeah, my number one pick is Terminator 2 Judgment Day. Ah, oh, finally. As uh, we've already discussed it, it's a great film. It took the original idea and ran with it and expanded on it and made it just so good. So good film. Such a good film. Seen it so many times. Uh, it's And it still still works. I mean, you see you see some films over and over again and you're going, oh, no, I've had enough, but this this still works. Arnie did a great job. Robert Patrick, what an intro to Robert Patrick it was. But it's a great film, and it's my number one film of 1991. Well, obviously, like I said, Phil, we were on the same wavelength for most of our top three and yeah, four yeah, films, yeah. so we were pretty close there. Um, but uh, a great list altogether, and 1991, a good year for films. So, all right, well, on that note, then, I think we should start to wrap things up. Now, next week, we are going to be bringing you all a bonus episode. Um, There's some vacations happening amongst the uh, cast and crew of After the Endings, so we're going to have a bonus episode. Yeah, a few of the, few of the guys and girls. Yeah, because we've got a huge crack team. Yeah, we're giving some of them a break. So, uh, but we yeah. don't want you to be without without uh, your podcast. So, we are going to bring you a fun bonus episode. We have some really cool features worked out for that. So, please do uh, tune in or download that when it comes out. In the meantime, Phil, how can people get in touch with us if they want to share some of their thoughts? You can find us on the social media channels. We're on Twitter at after underscore the ending and at Facebook dot com backslash after the ending podcast. But if you search for after the ending, we usually show up. Or it's either us or heavy metal band with the same name. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> that's a shout out to them. Yep, yep. I'm sure they do good stuff. I'm sure they do. <laughs> and you can also uh, email us directly at afterthending at verizon All right. Well, as always, then thank you for listening. I'm Mike Spring, and I'm Phil Edwards, and we'll see you next week after the ending. She recommends him to some of her actor films as clients. No, wait. Let me say. That. I said that completely wrong. I don't even know what. I don't even know what words were in that sentence. <laughs> it sounded like a good sentence. It's like I'm reading it, but the words that came out of my mouth were not the words that went into my eyeball. <laughs> yes, a TV. Well, sticking the fact with its. Uh... <laughs> <sighs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. You're welcome. You're welcome. By the way. Yeah. There's a. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, I just thought it was common and things, and then just, yeah, yeah. But I yeah. just, uh, oh, I just basically said nothing then, so ignore that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'll just go, yeah, yeah. So, Phil. Yes. What are we calling it? <laughs> we oh, yeah, we didn't, we didn't come up with a name, did we? Nope. Uh, How about playing with ourselves? Playing with, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm kidding. No, I think we should. No, 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 no. no. Uh, okay, call uh. it.
How about action figuring out the name as we go along? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm funny. <laughs> my number pick is a bit of a... You just said my number pick. My number... Yeah, I don't know. My number pick. <laughs> Your number pick. Yeah. Welcome to Number Pick, the new right. quiz show. <laughs> it's pretty easy. You pick a number, and if yeah. you're right, you win. If you're wrong, yeah. you lose. Pick a number between 1 and 100. <laughs> yes. You've done it. <laughs> uh, you, whichever podcast listening... I forgot to speak how to. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, I think that is going to wrap us up for now. So uh, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to think about what I'm going to say before I mess it up. Aren't you impressed? I'm very impressed. All right. Because I was about to say well, it the wrong I'll way. be more impressed when you do it. Yeah, I know. Listen, that's a lot of pressure to put on me. Don't mess up. <laughs> Thanks, Phil. Okay. You can do it. You're not helping. You can do it. You can do it. All right. Well, can you? Apparently, if history tells us anything, I can't. So... (laughs)